Welcome back, Padawans, to episode 17 of the JMR Podcast. I'm your host, Jelani, a.k.a. Jedi Master Ren, and I'm going to take y'all on a trip to a galaxy far, far away. On tonight's journey, we will be discussing a few games that I've been playing this last week, or my Jedi trainings, as well as my impressions of the PlayStation State of Play that happened uh, a couple weeks ago. Some Falcon sweeping for you. There will be a Kenobi spoiler cast coming out probably within the la- uh, the two weeks after the last episode post. Um, there will be a special guest involved with that, guys. So be tuned for that. I'll be posting um, whenever that's on the run-up. You guys can ask any questions that you have that you want uh, to be featured on the show as well. There is this little thing called Zox. Now, it's Z-O-X and... I have become an ambassador for Zox. Now, this is not a, they're not sponsoring my podcast in any way, shape, or form. This is just a company that, it's a small company that I found back in, let's say, 2016. Ooh, no, 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 no. Like, 2015 is when I found them. Maybe, yeah, 2015. And I absolutely adored this company. So, basically, the the uh, the elevator pitch for it is they create these different straps, these different um, elastic straps, and they have these amazing artwork on them, amazing. And they're probably about, I'd say, maybe about an inch thick. And um, when they sell out, they're they're gone. So they only produce about a thousand of these straps. And once that design has sold the thousand that they have accrued for it, then they're done. They will never redo that strap again. They might do a different variation of it, but then that changes the strap entirely. And then they sell a thousand of that one. But that has only happened seldomly in the years that I've you know been following them. But um, they started off as just three brothers, and they you know they tried to put out just good vibes into the world. And they started realizing that the straps that they were putting out, they started connecting with people in a really real way, like helping them through trauma and distress and stuff like that. So they really started to kind of shift and focus on making these straps have significant meaning to them. And it might not be significant to everybody, like a spe- one specific strap, but there's going to be somebody that that speaks to like wholeheartedly. And that's really kind of where they have... Um, singled themselves into in this market right here and they also they always give back as well so any strap that you buy it always goes to helping poor countries get water just like a necessity that every human being needs and should not have to fight for they help you know put different um wells and everything in these different third world countries and just to kind of help them out and to kind of again they have this like joe and kyle they have this platform that not even platform, but they have this business that's bringing in a lot of money and a lot of, you know, uh, eyes and attention. So they're trying to use that uh, to their advantage to help the world, right? So, and it's just, it's something that I really have grown accustomed to of just talking about Zox and being a part of Zox and just seeing what they're doing and seeing their growth. And, you know, I came across the uh, ambassador program and I, you know, with following Zox for as long as I have for almost a decade at this point, seven years, I, you know, I felt like, yes, I, 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 every time, I mean, I wear a Zox strap every single day. I have a plethora of them. So, I mean, I literally change one out every maybe week or so and, you know, run with that one. Um, so, I very much am a lover of Zox and a I'm passionate about this and I'm very 
uh, passionate about them and their business and what they're doing and how far they've come. So I wanted to be a part of this ambassador program. So if any of you find this to be interesting, I'm sorry for this uh, long elevator pitch, but if any of you guys are feeling like this is something that is up your alley, go ahead, go to their website. It's zox.la. So that's Z-O-X dot L-A. And use my code. It is J-E-L-A-N-I 40328. That'll get you 10% off of your first order. So it's only first order, unfortunately, but you get a little something off of this. And I mean, I'm telling you guys, these straps don't run that much. They're probably about like eight to 10 bucks per strap. And when you go, when you go online, you start to look at them. I guarantee there's probably going to be a strap for every one of my listeners that's going to speak to you. So go ahead, use that code in there. I think there is I'm not, I'm a little mistaken because I haven't really done this, but I think that there is commission for me involved. Again, they don't sponsor me and I just want to be forthright and tell you everything that I know, but I do believe that that's the case. That's not why I'm telling you this though. I'm telling you this because I am an ambassador now. I want to spread the word of Zox and I want you guys to fall in love with this company the way that I have years ago. All right. But as I say every week, guys, now that we've got that out of the way, if you are liking what I'm doing, please like and share the show out to everybody so it can get to more Padawans. Um, it will really help the show reach more people. If you follow me or uh, the show at the JMR Podcast, you can get any updates for the show. Now, there was, I should have made an update episode or an update post about me missing last week's episode. There was just some stuff that happened in my personal life that caused me to have to kind of put this on the wayside for a little bit so I could deal with that. And I really didn't have time to get on Twitter to post anything like that. I was realistically what happened. I wasn't even thinking about doing that. So I do apologize for missing last week, but we are here this week. We're here to get into it. All right, guys. Now let's jump to hyperspace. All right, guys, so now that we are safely in light speed, let us touch on my Jedi trainings over these last two weeks, all right? So, obviously, as you guys know, I have been playing a little bit of Ghostwire Tokyo. So, with that, I have gotten a little bit more time with the game, and I've spent um, a few more hours in it, in the world, trying to uncover things and see what the game really has to offer. So I know when I first touched on it the last time that we discussed anything, um, I was wondering if they had if they utilized the touchpad in any significant manner. And it's funny enough is I had not gotten my second ability yet at the time of recording that last episode. So I had not witnessed anything to be done with the uh, touchpad of any case except, to, you know, as a glorified menu button. I am, it's safe to say, and I am here to say it now, yeah, they use, they, er, they use the touchpad in a way that is cohesive with the story and with the gameplay um, that they're doing or that they're uh, providing to us. So basically, you just swipe in any direction and you switch between your two ether, um, your two ethereal powers, as well as the bow and arrow that you have. So you do get a bow and arrow for those long ranged attacks, but you also have your um, your different ethereal abilities. So you've got wind, fire, and uh, water are the three of the ethereal abilities that you've got, and each one is distinct with, you know, a swipe of the touchpad. That is very much something that, again, like I stated, it's something that I want to see. and something that I was really hoping to see out of this, uh, out of this game. And, you know, it's good to see that they actually did think ahead and be like, you know what, maybe we should utilize the, con the controller to the fullest extent and utilize everything that it has to offer. And I think they did that here because 
when you're just swiping back and forth between your two different weapons, it's just so seamless. And then you start to realize, oh, okay, this one's up, this one's left, this one's right, this one's down. And then now it's just muscle, muscle. Now it's just muscle memory at this point. So I really did appreciate that. The story so far, I am in great engaged with, I'm intrigued with as well. You know, um, I, again, I played the prelude before jumping into act, the actual game itself, and the prelude was pretty fun. Again, it's not, it wasn't like an actual game game that you could play yourself. It was something more like, you know, um, kind of like a storybook in a sense. So you're reading everything, but to learn about these different characters at play beforehand and then jumping into the game and then seeing those same characters pop up albeit you know um in the background per se there is one character i don't remember what his name is though uh, but he's the british guy and he just leaves different recordings across the city for you and it's funny because in even in the prelude when you were actually in the room with him that's how he decided to talk as well with those um with recordings so he would start to say something and then he'd be like and then just hand you a recording. And you didn't see what I did, but he just kind of paused and then hand you a recording. So that's kind of how he operates. I guess just just how his mind works. He just, he, and they, they even say he's not good at talking to people. He's very good at talking like at, at tech and everything. So that's just kind of where his head's at. He can get his point across better as, you know, when it's just him one-on-one, -on -one, as opposed to being in a room with somebody and trying to convey his, you know, his thought process or whatever. So that is a, is a cool thing to see that they put this prelude out and it did give you more insight into the characters that you're seeing because that backstory of why he talks in these recordings you wouldn't get that if you didn't play the through the prelude but me playing through the prelude and then playing the the uh main game i now have appreciation um for that character and i'm like oh my gosh yes you're doing the same thing you were doing before this is just how you are and i understand that now i have a deeper understanding of these characters and it's i you know it was very weird to see them do this little prelude beforehand. I wasn't expecting that, you know, and I also wasn't expecting it to just be a, you know, storyboard kind of thing. But either way, I was intrigued and I still am intrigued with the game world that they provided here. So that's why I wanted to jump into that. Now, jumping into the main game, you start to understand who the entity is that you are, that's not even controlling you, but that's inside of um, Akito. That's your main character. And um, the spirit that's in you, his name is KK. KK was the main um, protagonist in that prelude. So when we're talking about them fleshing out the characters, you literally understand, you see this man in this whole, his whole kind of ideology in the prelude before you even get to him. And then it takes a decent amount of time in the game before you actually find out who the spirit is. Now, I'm not giving you any spoilers of, I'm just giving you the name. You don't, I don't, realistically, I don't really know who he is from the prelude also, you know? Like, I know his motives. I know his ideology. I know that there is a team involved. At least he had a team before, you know, whatever happened, happened. But past that, I don't really know. So now I'm intrigued and I want to find out what is going on with KK. How did this, ha how did he become a spirit? Why is he, why does he need a host? What is going on with this character? That's where I'm intrigued with. The other thing is their banter. Akito and KK's banter back and forth is absolutely hilarious. There is one part, I think it was, 
they were, I think uh, KK was talking about watching a movie or something like that. And then like uh, getting a disc to watch a movie and Akito literally looked at him and was like, or not looked at him, but you know, kind of was taken aback and was like, are you not, dude, you're not streaming? What are you doing? Like, it was just one of those moments where I'm like, oh my gosh, that's hilarious. We're in 2022. Yeah. How are you not streaming my guy? Like everybody's streaming at this point. So I thought that was a pretty, just again, this, the one-off banter that you get as you're walking through the, the, the world was, it is, something that I enjoy. It really is. And you can see that they put a lot of effort into that, into showing you these two different, you know, dualities. They have to talk to each other. KK's inside of Aikido. Why would they not have some camaraderie back and forth as you're going through this, you know, um, soulless city, basically? You know what I'm saying? So that that is one aspect of it that I really did like. The other thing, though, you know, that I've heard is that, oh, the game just feels lackluster it feels dead you know like there's nothing it, it's boring that's what it is walking down the street doesn't feel like it's alive well let's let's kind of think about that it shouldn't feel like that it should not feel alive it should not feel bustling because of the situation that happened there you know what i'm saying like we're in all intensive purposes you are in a post-apocalyptic tokyo you know what i mean like this is after the bs that happened you cannot go around and just see a bunch of people because there's nobody so there it is what it is like this is the, the you know, look if you know that this is the game when you buy it you should already know what you're getting into you're not going to see a bunch of people i knew that going into it so that's not a deterrent to me i am more invested in the exploration and the story that they're trying to tell akito is obviously he's trying to find his sister we don't know exactly what's going on with that because again i haven't gotten too deep into this i've been trying to do some side quests and trying to explore more so i have only done the first um three actual main levels i believe maybe even two but i want to say three main levels but all in all like i am really enjoying my time with this but that does it does bring me to something which is you know i, I did touch on a couple weeks ago um, how Lego Star Wars The Skywalker Saga has moved down my list of um, top games for this year. It's not far down the list, but it definitely got knocked out from number one because there's a game that was at number two that I knocked down at number two for Lego Star Wars, and I could not keep it at number two, and that game is Horizon Forbidden West. That game took me out, man. It took control of my life for the duration of me trying to beat that game, I didn't play anything else until that game was done. And that's the only game that I have done that with aside from, like, uh, recently. At least on the PS5, 100 eh, No, I can't say that because um, I did the same thing with Rift Apart. But Rift Apart was also not a massive open-world RPG. Uh, with this game, like, I legit stayed in this. And I stayed in it till the end. And, again, I don't do that a lot in games. So when it does happen, I I, I've got to keep that on a high pedestal. And I feel like with me kind of, you know a little bit falling off of Lego Star Wars and not saying I don't want to go back, but just not right at this moment. I didn't get that feeling with Forbidden West. Forbidden West has to go back to number one. It is what it is. And I feel the same with Ghostwire. I'm liking Ghostwire. I'm liking every minute of it when I get in and start playing it. But there are other things that are grabbing my attention. And that's where I have the issue. Now, one of those things we'll touch on in a second, in a little bit here, probably the last thing we touch on of the games that I've been playing you understand why and you will understand why but the other game that i've been getting into my other jedi training is roller champions now roller champions is a game that it dropped out of nowhere at least for me i know i remember hearing about this at some point 
right? Like some point, sometime last year, I remember hearing about this game. Because I know I remember seeing like a roller skating sport game from Ubisoft. Now, did I remember this game when I first saw it on my feed, on my YouTube feed? I promise you I didn't. I did not remember this at all. So getting into it, I when I first saw it, I'm sitting and I watched a short. And it was just some a streamer who was uh, playing the game. And like the game is just fire. Like it's fantastic. The movements, the first of all, the roller derby aspect of this or the how kind of where they've derived their um inspiration from is awesome i have never played a game with a you know that feels like a roll like you're playing in a roller derby this is the first one so automatically i was like i was in because of that then you're telling me that there's a sport on top of that that you're you're actually playing a game and you're having to get these balls to these little you know basically hoops and it reminded me a lot of if anybody has seen El Dorado. It's an old cartoon. Not old cartoon, but cartoon came out in the early 2000s. I used to, it was on VHS. I used to watch the hell out of that movie. But I'm telling you, that movie, they had a game that was very similar to this. Not on roller skates, but everybody was kind of running back and forth. It was kind of like football in a sense, but you had to get the ball to through a... Um, a hoop that was very high up compared to where everybody else was playing. So it did give me that vibe. And that's kind of another drawing point that got me in. So I I start to see this guy. He's playing this game. And he's like, man, you the movement on this is amazing. It's phenomenal. I'm like, okay, it does look pretty cool. And I had to watch it again because I wanted to see the movie that he did. He, you know, he's stunting out there. You know what I'm saying? Like stunting on these skates. So I was like, you know what? I think I want to try this out. So I go and search. I go and check it out on the, the PlayStation app. I was at work at the time. So I go on the PlayStation app, type in Roller Champions. Lo and behold, guys, this is a free-to-play game. This one is free-to-play. And I was like, yo, are you for real? Download immediately. Immediately start downloading this. I will play it when I get home. So that's what I did. Start downloading. It gets downloaded. It's ready to go by the time I get home. I boot into it. The, I didn't boot into it that day because I think it was, I think that was a Wednesday, maybe. It was a Tuesday. That was probably a Tuesday night because I usually, I work Tuesday nights and then I have to open in the morning on Wednesday. So I don't have a lot of time between Tuesday and Wednesday to game. So I'm pretty sure it was Tuesday when this happened. And then I played Wednesday night when I got home. And oh boy, this game is fantastic. I love every minute of it. Now, I have initial gripes immediately initial gripes and i will say it's initial gripes so we're going to put it here because they have been ironed out basically within my first playthrough they had ironed themselves out don't know what happened but this was in the tutorial of the game guys in the tutorial it was so unbelievably choppy i could not see what i was doing and i was just like all right you know maybe it's just some kinks it's fine like you know i'm not in a match or anything so it's it's got to be some weird kink or something that's going on i don't know what but it's got to be some weird glitch that's going on just in this part cool but then i get to the actual match and it's doing the exact same thing in the match and then i start to think to myself why would i think that if the tutorial wasn't working that the online component would that doesn't make any sense does it it doesn't i'm answering my own question that was rhetorical it doesn't make sense if the tutorial doesn't work of course the freaking online component won't work so I immediately got frustrated and I got frustrated not because of the glitching not because of that because in all actuality I actually won that match that it was glitching like crazy on but it's the fact that I can see the potential for this game and with that choppiness and with that 
inconsistency, it was going to falter. And that was first match in, first impression, this is what I'm getting. I was very hurt. And it wasn't that I was mad, it was that I was hurt because I can see the vision of this and I can see where it could go. This could be the next big free-to-play game. But it's not going to be that with with this with these bugs and with these glitches in it, Ubisoft. Like, realistically, it's just not. So, unfortunately, that's where we're kind of sitting at now. Again, though, or that's where we were sitting at. I started playing more. And, and again, this is a testament to how good the game is. Even after the initial glitching and the initial first impression of this, I still wanted to keep going. I still wanted to... I was like, you know what? Maybe it'll work itself out. So I played another match. Other match was way better. So because of that, now I'm starting to I'm starting to really get in the groove and get in the grind. And I'm like, all right, I'm I'm liking this game. I'm really liking it. Now that it's actually working properly, I see why this is a great game and I'm here for it. I really I want more of it. So play another match. Cool, nothing, no problem. It's it's completely smoothed out by this point. And I just keep playing. And I I literally played for probably about four or five hours straight of just this Roller Champions game. And I will tell you this, guys. There's only one mode. It was only Quick Match 3v3. That's it. And there's only two maps. So, and I'll tell you this too. I only played on one map during those three to four hours because I didn't get to, I didn't even see the second map until I started doing ranked matches. And that's when I first got to see it. I was like, oh my gosh, there's another, another rank. That's cool. So, with that being said, there's not a whole lot here. And I think that's what is also going to hold this game back. What they do have, they have a damn good foundation for a really fun, energetic game. That's what they have right now. But what they need to continue to do, they, it, it's a free-to-play game. So they can't drop, they have to keep the content coming. Now, I will say, the two modes that stay are Quick Match and Ranked Matches. Those are the two that always stay. There is a special event tab and I, I think it's every day as of right now. I missed, I, I did one of them, and then they, they they keep them up for about 17 hours or so. So basically the whole day, I would assume, because I probably didn't start it right when it did open up. So it probably was a good 24 hours that this um, special event was open. But then it closes for another maybe day or so. So I think it's like every other day when they're having a special event. That's something that they should probably iron out and maybe get it to where it's, a daily thing, and I'm not saying like a new event every day. I'm saying maybe we do, um, you know, a different kind of event, or not a different kind of event, but we have like four events, right? And we shuffle through those each day, or maybe we have five events and you shuffle through those for the five days of the week, and then the weekend you don't do anything for those. I don't know, you take a break on the weekend, but either way, I think they should have a set amount of special events and then rotate through those, but those change every day. That's where we should get at because you want to have something that for the players to get hungry for and come back to. And what will get them in your actual game? If you have these modes and somebody has a mode that they absolutely love, I played the 2v2 mode. That was my special event mode that I played. I absolutely adored that. It is less convoluted. It's less dense. And you can actually get through and move around and, you know, figure out and actually play with, you know, the other team and play with your team. And the other thing is that there's only two people. So you pass the ball, you're passing it to your one guy, and then you got to position yourself to get it passed right back to you. I really liked the challenge of having to do it with only one other guy, but also it made it feel like the um, the teamwork was there, even though we weren't talking to each other, because I'm playing with randos right now, guys. So there, the teamwork wasn't there. I mean, the, sorry, the teamwork was there, but 
you're not getting, you know, a third wheel in there where there could be some things that are happening. People want to just do their own thing kind of thing because, you know, it's a, it's a 3v3. But with that, you're very much dependent on that other person because there's only one other person that you can utilize to get you out of a bad situation. Now, let's touch on the battle pass. I did not want, when it was glitching out, I was like, there's no way I'm buying the battle pass for this. There's no way. I'm not buying the battle pass for this right now. Like, this is a free-to-play game. I don't really know the staying power of this. I don't think it's time for me to hop in and buy the battle pass. By the end of that first session, I had the battle pass bought because I had turned around almost a complete 180. And realistically, the 180 started on my second and third match. That's when I started really, I was like, okay, I, I think this could be something that I could see myself playing. Again, if it stays running and functional, I could definitely see this being something that I go back to every day, especially with these matches are not very long. We're talking at the most seven minutes because that's how long each actual match, the time on the, the, uh, that you have to finish the matches. Basically, you're supposed to grab, you get this ball, ball gets sent into the ring and you have to take the ball around the lap once. Once you take it around once, you can, sh then you unlock the goal and you can shoot it um, for one point. Now, if your opponent has the ball and they go around once and they unlock the goal, you then have the ability to knock them out, denying them that goal. That's what it is. They call it, it says denied whenever you do it. You're denying them that goal and then it resets and it starts over again. So you go around once, you get one point when you throw it in the goal. Go around one more time with that ball. So you go around two laps. Now that goal is worth three points. You go around a third time. And again, this is in a row. We're not talking like, oh, you just go around once, shoot it. All right, one, you go around another time, shoot it. Okay, now, now you get three. No, you're going once around, twice around the second time, three times around in a row. Now you're getting five points for that shot. It only needs five points to win, guys. So there is a very, there is very much a kind of tit for tat. You have to kind of gauge what your opponent's doing and what you need to do, how many points you guys have. And it's a risk and reward kind of thing. You really don't want to keep going through the laps because then you're going to, you, you could get denied. Somebody could tackle you and then grab that ball. And now you're right back to square one, or you could try to win the match real quick in one go. I had a match guys. I literally won within a minute a minute I won, and it wasn't me who won. One of my opponents got the ball and just went around three times. Literally just went around. I didn't know. I, I just kept following him. I was like, all right, man, come on, man. Just pass the ball, pass the ball. Finally, we went around. It's like, oh, snap. Are we at five? He shot it in one. Done. It was it. It was over in probably less than a minute. I'm telling you. So, and again, too, let's say that you have one point. Well, if you go around twice, now you've got three. Now you're at four. You see what I'm saying? So it's a tit for tat and your opponents can do the same thing. So you want to make sure that you're keeping track of that. It's just a lot of this game, they've done a really, really good job of balancing, I feel like. And they've done a really good job with the foundation of it. It's just the free-to-play aspects of it that they've got to iron out. So like, again, the, that they need to add more modes, I feel like, maybe a little bit more maps too, because I think... Realistically, I'm not here for the map, so I don't really care in in the grand scheme of things for me personally. But I know that that's going to be something that they get they get dinged for is not having a lot of variety. And again, in the, the modes as well. But the battle pass. Now we get to the battle pass, and me personally, I don't have an issue with the battle pass. I feel like the battle pass is pretty pretty cool. I do like it. Um, it does seem more akin to the um, 
Halo Battle Pass where each level you take a thousand or it takes, you know, a thousand XP for this. They use fans. It takes a thousand fans for you to progress to the next level of the battle pass, but it has stayed consistent. Now I'm not in the double digits of the battle pass. So we'll see what happens when I get to the double digits. If that changes anything, maybe it goes up to 1050 fans. I don't know. There's only 30 levels though. And they only give you about, I mean, at the time, I think it was like 24 days or something like that. So uh, again, this was this is ground level, you know, battle pass. So maybe when we get into the next season, the actual season, I think they are, they're calling this season zero. I don't know if they're really, if this is their official season one yet. But if they're at season zero, this is again, something that excites me to see where they go in the future with this game. Because I'm telling you, like, I absolutely adore playing this. And to get in real quick, like I said... The longest that it's going to take a match is going to be seven minutes. The, most of my matches, on average, they're about three to four. So I can easily hop in, play a match, maybe two, and then hop out. You know what I mean? So that's going to be this game for me here. I really wish, and this is my last thing on this point, and then we're going to move over to my next Jedi training. But my only gripe is that it's not on Switch. I feel like this would be a damn good Switch game. A really good game to play in bed, you know... Again, those few matches that I'm talking about, have those right before I go to bed. Like, that would be an ideal way for me to play the game. However, with it, you know, being as glitchy as it was on the PlayStation 5 where I was playing it, I don't want to know how it runs or how it could possibly run on the, uh, the Nintendo Switch. So, I think that, you know, for now, let's keep it where it's at and then we'll kind of see, you know, what Ubisoft decides to do going forward. But... Let's touch on another Ubisoft game that has kind of taken me or taken hold of me these last couple of weeks, and that is Assassin's Creed Origins. So, little do you guys know, I am a huge Assassin's Creed fan. Huge Assassin's Creed fan. It is probably one of my favorite gaming series um to date. And honestly, I think we're gonna do I, I think we might do a video or a video, uh, a podcast on um, or an episode on what my favorite uh, series are, because this would definitely make that list for sure. And not even this game, but just Assassin's Creed in general. But obviously, Ubisoft game. So I have beaten Origins. I beat Origins years ago, maybe in 2019. I did, definitely was before COVID hit. So uh, and I, honestly, I think it was before my daughter was here as well. So it was, and she was born October 2019. So I'm going to say sometime early 2019 is when I actually rolled credits on this game. And I loved every minute of this game. Now, obviously, I did fall off because the game came out in 2017. Didn't take me. I, I was not playing this game for two straight years, guys. Let's calm down, all right? But... I, you know, the story, the characters that they've uh, introduced in this, this being the first time that they go into this RPG setting, the ancient Greek setting, I, everything about this game is amazing. It absolutely is. And going back to it these uh, this last week has really shown me just how amazing this game still is and still holds up. And why, honestly, this is my favorite Assassin's Creed game. It's my favorite one out of all of them. Now, I have a soft spot for the earlier games as well. So the ones that were before this point. My favorite one from before then, I would have to say... It probably was either Unity or Syndicate. One of the two... I really want to say Unity, though. I'm leaning more towards Unity, again, because I really like the story that they were portraying in that, in, in that game. Uh, but 
with this one, you're playing as Bayek, and he is a Mejai for the um, for the Egyptian uh, or for Egypt for all of Egypt. And the Mejai used to be guards for the pharaohs, right? But since you know the time has changed and time has passed, and as the uh, ancient Egypt grew, their needs grew. And the Egyptians' needs grew, like the actual civilians there grew. And the Medjai turned into from, you know, protecting the pharaohs to protecting all of Egypt and all of its um, people that lived there. So that is who Bayek is when we find him. And unfortunately, his son was murdered. And I'm not going to get into anything with that, but his son was murdered. And he then goes on a revenge quest to uh, to try and figure out what not figure out but yeah try and figure out who did it and who is responsible for this and he starts to unravel a this big huge conspiracy that is it goes all the way up man it goes it keeps going so that is what he's tasked with he is on a revenge quest and he's trying to avenge his his dead son and it's something that you know, when I played it at the time, obviously 2017 was well before my daughter was in the picture, but I beat the game before she was in our in our lives. Obviously, we knew we were pregnant, but before she was born, I beat this game. Going back to it and seeing the first initial, you know, the beginning part of this game as a father now, it hits a lot differently. Now, I will say, I did go back to this game. I didn't just go back to this willy-nilly, you know, just because, just for shits and giggles. No, I went back to it because Ubisoft decided to, on a whim, do a shadow drop of a 60 FPS patch to the game. Now, they've already come out. Obviously, Valhalla came out right around the time of these consoles. Oh, shoot, I'm lying. It literally came out almost day and date with the consoles, with these uh, current-gen consoles that we're on right now. And with that, obviously, it had a PS5 and a Xbox Series version. So, with that, it already had the 60 FPS, you know, uh, format or it already was playing running at that level of frame rate right in that performance mode but the assassin's creed odyssey did not that game came out well before so obviously it did not have these you know the niceties that we've come to um we've come to love with these current gen consoles so they went back in and they gave an update to odyssey and odyssey got a 60 fps patch okay that's cool Where's the love for Origins? That's where my head's at. Where is the love for Origins? So the reason that I, and not even the reason, because I've already told you the reason that I love this game, but the reasons that I fell off of the, the ones following. Odyssey, I played about half of, right? I was really enjoying my time with Odyssey. I really was. Um, I liked Cassandra. That's who I played as. And also she is based on canon. She is the canonical uh, main character of that story. So I was like, well, I'm obviously going to stay with the canon. So we went with Cassandra. And I did like her, you know, but I just felt like, I don't know, maybe there were too many decisions that I could make and it just wasn't necessarily what I was looking for out of my Assassin's Creed game per se I don't know if it was that or if it just got too long in the tooth you know it, it, there's a number of different you know things that have come across in my head as to why but I really want to think I really want to say it's the size of that game and not really knowing and not really seeing an end in sight for it. So because of that, I kind of fell off. And I didn't want to keep continuing my journey with that game. And I did. I, and it's not that I wasn't planning on going to. Now I'm not. I'm just not going back to Odyssey. I don't have a need to anymore. But 
at the time of me putting it down, I did have the intention of going back to the game. And then just time passed and time passed. And I finally was, I just told myself one day, I was like, you know, you're never going back to Odyssey. You're never going back. Honestly, I think I traded that game in because I knew I wasn't going back to it. And that's, that was one thing I was like, I'm not, I'm I'm not going to play this game anymore. Guess what I kept though? I kept Assassin's Creed Origins, even though I'd already beaten that game. I traded in Odyssey knowing that I had beaten Origins. Obviously, Origins would have been the game to trade in if I was trading in anything, since I'm not going to be going back to that anytime soon. Obviously, very good that I did it. So, um, that's where I kind of fell off with Odyssey. Valhalla? Could you say I fell off if I never got on the train? You know what I'm saying? Like, I, and talking with some other guys, I realized that, uh, Rick the Welsh one specifically, um, he... I did roll credits, uh, roll the intro credits for Valhalla. Apparently that was several hours into the game. So I may have played several hours of this game and just didn't realize that it was several hours of my life that have been taken, that are just gone. Because I didn't play much else after that. So I know we got into England. I got over there and got into that and started building my settlement very, very slightly. And then fell off and haven't haven't gotten back to that game and don't very much plan to at all period. Like, there was nothing that that got, that gravitated me towards Valhalla. There was nothing. I, I, don't ha- I don't feel any remorse for not playing it. I don't feel anything for having put it down, for not giving it more time. I don't really, it's not a, it's not a detriment to me, which is something that is weird because I played through every one of these games, and I've liked pretty much all of my experiences with them, except aside from a few, and aside from it, whenever they started getting into uh, the Black Flag era, where they started getting more towards um, naval combat, that's kind of when I started slowly falling off of those older games. One thing I really loved about Origins is that they didn't have that, which, I, I, let me walk that back, they did have it, and they do have it, but it's only slightly, and in certain moments, and it's not something that you have to continuously do. It's literally just a, it's one mission where you are taken out of the character of Bayek, and you're playing a different character, and you are manning your ship in these moments. And then that's it. Once the time is over, then you go back and you're with Bayek in Egypt. And then that's how that kind of works. So it wasn't overbearing. It was just the right amount for me to be like, I like this. It's not overstaying its welcome. I'm good. I don't like to sail. I don't want, you know how much time it takes to sail on the open sea? It's a long, it's a long, long time. Now I say that as I'm also playing Assassin's Creed Rogue on the Switch, and that game is basically just a continuation of Black Flag. Literally. It feels, it looks, it plays like Black Flag. So, in all fairness, yeah, like, I, I can get around it, but it's not my preferred method of playing an Assassin's Creed game. And IC Origins did that for me. They gave me the Assassin's Creed story and the mobility and the movement and the gameplay that I was looking for. Also, obviously, turning it on its head and adding that RPG aspect to it. But, while also pushing that naval combat to the wayside for a second, so you can really focus and hone in on the story at hand. That's that's why it resonates more with me. Obviously, the story of revenge and how this all came to be is a huge focal point of why I love this, as well as the setting. The setting is unbelievably phenomenal. And then seeing it running in 60 frames per second is also phenomenal. Like, 
they have done they always go above and beyond uh, in recreating these worlds and that's another reason that i just love this series as a whole is because they take time and they take effort into recreating these old ancient civilizations that we're never going to be able to see in this in this aspect in this setting you know and obviously ancient civilization is more of these the newer rpg aspects of it so origins odyssey and valhalla but even with the older games, like during the French Revolution for Unity or the Industrial Revolution in, um, in London in Syndicate, like all of these different time periods, you're not going to be able to see unless you're watching TV, but you're never going to be able to actually like feel like you're in that world unless it's in a video game, man. And they do such a good job of it. And that's why I, I keep pulling up. I'll be pulling up for the next Assassin's Creed game. I did not care for Valhalla. Still going to be pulling up for the next one. I don't even know if I really wanted Valhalla, guys. Like, realistically, I don't even think I was that hot on the game. When it was coming out, I was like, I don't really need to play this game. I just got it just because I'm like, I mean, it's Assassin's Creed. I didn't get it at launch. I got it on sale, but I was like, I mean, it's Assassin's Creed game. Like, I cannot not try it. Like, I've got to at least put in some kind of work, see if I like it. If I don't, it is what it is. That's, you know... I kind of knew that that was going to happen anyway, but at least I gave it a shot. And going back to AC Origins is, again, I'm starting to realize what I really am liking about, or what I really liked about Assassin's Creed Origins and this series as a whole. And I really think they did a very good job with transitioning to this RPG aspect with Origins. And I feel like they started to go even further into it with Odyssey and Valhalla to the point where it doesn't feel like it's an Assassin's Creed game anymore, if that makes sense. Like, I don't even remember, you know, yeah, they've got their hoods, but, the, I mean, half the time they're not even wearing the hoods. You know what I mean? Like, and that's that's the same thing in Origins too, but at least all of the outfits and the costumes, they all had a hood and they all look like, you know, okay, yeah, he's the Assassin. In Valhalla, yo, like, they're... There's barely anything that, you know, I know she has a hood. I'm not saying that there isn't, like, a, an ability to put a hood on. But what I am saying is that you don't necessarily, that's not, like, something that is a tadpole for the game of you putting the hood on. And I guess it's not, again, for Origins either. But at the same time, all of the outfits that you unlock and that you can purchase all have a hood that goes on. So, you know. I it, tit for tat, but at the same time too, as I'm as I'm thinking about it, Syndicate, you also could just walk around with the top hat on. So they were trying. It seems like they were getting away from that realistically with Syndicate anyway. So I do get it, but I you know I have a certain thought thought process for how I want Assassin's Creed games to be, and I feel like you know I do know it definitely needed a rework, and it needed they needed to go back to the drawing board to kind of switch up the formula. And Origins did a damn good job of it. It's just them pumping in more of it into Odyssey instead of, you know, building on it. It just seemed like they just shoved more crap into the game as opposed to meaningful crap. You know what I mean? So that's kind of where I sit at with AC Origins. I still think that this is by far the best Assassin's Creed game that they have made in this new era. And honestly, in, in all of the eras. Like, it, it even pre-Origins, that era of the classic Assassin's Creed, I think Assassin's Creed Origins is the epitome of what an Assassin's Creed game should be. And I hope that with their next iteration, whatever they decide to do next, I hope that they are listening to the fans and that they 
kind of take it back to the drawing board slightly. Not all the way back like how they took the two years off between Syndicate and Origins to come up with Origins. Not even come up with, but to put work into Origins. But I hope that they kind of reel in what they've done over the last two. And obviously, we're, who knows if we're going to be able to get that or not. We'll have to wait and see. But I'm hoping that we can get closer and closer to where we were at with AC Origins. Albeit with, you know, the stuff that they've learned along the way with making the other two games. But that's where I'm kind of sitting at with that. Now, for my last Jedi training for the week, this is a big one. This is a doozy. Fortnite, baby. Fortnite! Y'all already know I'm in this season. I told you all my predictions. I feel like it's going to be a Star Wars season. I was wrong. But we still get some Star Wars. Star Wars was not over, and at least that I did get right. I said it's either going to be a full season, or we're just going to have one character at the end. They gave us the one character at the end, and oh boy, it is my main man Vader. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Now, granted, you know, um, Andy Cortez from Kind of Funny said this on, I believe, Monday, and I thought the exact same thing. I was like, wasn't Vader already up in Fortnite? I kind of swear he was. Now, granted, me seeing him on the Battle Pass immediately told me that he wasn't. It wasn't a matter of me having to think, was he on it? I'm like, well, he's on the Battle Pass, so he obviously wasn't. But I did think all up until then that he had already been somewhere, some way in this, you know, in the game. But again, with that being said, I have never seen Vader, obviously. So why would I think that? Either way, I digress. But I was unbelievably happy when I first, when I got up and saw this um, reveal trailer for the season. First of all, first of all, the season is called Vibin'. And if you haven't seen the trailer, y'all need to go on YouTube and just search Fortnite Vibin' Season trailer. It is a vibe in and of itself. It is very much like my generation. I'm 26. I feel like it is pandering to the... Um, what is it? The concert crowd, the um, the rave crowd, the like Coachella kind of thing, like that kind of vibe is what I'm getting. Convention, not convention either, but like those Coachella vibes. That's what I'm talking about. It's giving those kind of uh, feelings, and I am here for it. I'm 100% here for it. I'm not like super in that life. However, I I think it is. It's just good feelings. You know what I'm saying? Like it's it's all what the thing says it's all good vibes you know what I mean and that's kind of the focal point of this season and you know realistically as I've thought as I've you know had time to think I think they kind of had to do this obviously with the situation that's going on over in Russia and the Ukraine and them you know launching this season right as that you know was kind of kicking off it, it looked bad for Epic and for Fortnite. Obviously, they didn't know that Putin was going to be a piece of fucking shit and start doing that crap and invading a country. They didn't know that. But at the same time, you know, development had already been done. So they had to kind of just go with it, you know. And that's why we saw them, you know, take those initiatives at the beginning of the season to kind of give back to the, to the Ukrainians to kind of help them through this time because obviously they freaking need it. So... Um, you know, with that being said, I do think that this was a transition from that. I don't know how Fortnite, and that's something that I, that would be, uh, cool to find out about how Epic goes about developing a new season. Like, do you start development on a season right after the next season launches? 
or have you or all or or are all of these seasons already like you have it planned out for the whole year you know of what you kind of what you want to do and you've got teams that are kind of already getting the ground working with that and then once we're transitioning over once we get to like maybe the last uh two months of a season now we've got more people on that team who's working on the next season so that it's ready to go for prime time i don't exactly know what their turnaround rate is but i would have to assume that it is very similar to what i just said which is not even that but that it's um you know once they're done with one season they start on the next one and i feel like you know obviously they have a team that is, you know, doing the updates and putting in the new stuff for the current season. But I feel like they put most of their eggs in the new season, in that basket. So then that way they can make sure that it's uh, ready to go. They got everything that they need. And they've got enough hands on the task, on the project, so they can get it done in a timely fashion. That's kind of where my head's at when I'm thinking about this. Now, I really think that this vibe and season is a retaliation to what had, to them launching their previous season and it just being basically a a war season you know where you're you're fighting against two different factions i think that they read the room they saw that you know listen we've got to put it out because it's time for us to put this out this happened yes across you know across the pond but we've already got the development hours in this so we've got to keep pushing with it so i can see them taking that and being like, you know what? Okay. Because we had to do this, our next season, we need to have nothing at all continuing this season. It needs to be a complete um overhaul of what we did here and so that we can kind of try to win people back in a sense. And again, we all as True gamers, I feel like we all understand the circumstance that they found themselves in. You know, I don't think that anybody is holding them accountable for having that season. It just, you know, it's just bad PR. That's all it was. And it's not, it's not their fault. You know, it is what it is. It's just, it's just the luck of the draw, you know? So I do, I, I wholeheartedly think that they have made this season in retaliation to that. Now, with that being said, though, who knows how how far in advance they had this Vader thing planned out, you know? I honestly feel, I really, really feel like that had to have been in, that had to have been in motion maybe, you know, um, at the beginning of last season. So not the beginning of the, not midway, but at the beginning of last season, I think maybe that's when Disney came to them and they're like, listen, we know that you're going to do, you know, your annual uh, May celebration for Star Wars. What can we do to make that even more? And then they just start brainstorming, right? And they bring it to the drawing board and they try to figure out what is going to be beneficial for the fans and the players. And what can we do to elevate Star Wars as well as Fortnite? And the way you do that is you put these little Easter eggs in for people like me who are going to go gung-ho crazy and start theorizing of how many more Star Wars characters can we get in Fortnite? I want more. And then... You know, we have this big, long traction of, oh, well, you know, uh, the Stormtroopers are looking for Kenobi. They're looking for a Jedi. And then you get Kenobi in the shop. So Kenobi's here. But then again, we got that his trailer and he looks like he's running from somebody like he's undercover or not undercover. But it looks like he's, you know, trying to keep it on the DL that he's here. And then lo and behold, guess who shows up? Vader. So obviously, Vader is at the very end of the battle pass. He's in level 100. I guarantee you i promise i promise you 
I will be having Vader. I will have Vader within two months of this season being out. I'm about to put in an extensive amount of work into this game. I promise you that. Let me tell you. But with that being said, guys, that is the last of the main games that I had played throughout these last couple of weeks. However, I do want to touch on the last thing that I did slightly touch on. That's the Mario Strikers demo. So I did play the Mario Strikers demo and it was fairly decent. You know what I mean? Like I, again, I'm only saying, and I, uh, let me back that up. I say fairly decent because I didn't actually play the demo. I only played the tutorial of them kind of showing me how to play the game and everything, you know, all the mechanics and everything. I didn't realize that the demo that I downloaded, it didn't have, or it wasn't available for the actual game until specific points that Nintendo decided to put out. You know, ah, you can play between uh, 12 and 2 on Sunday, and then 7 to 8 on Friday, and then 6 to 12 on Saturday. That, that wasn't a real one, but... You get what I'm saying? Like, it was all kinds of different times, and I was just like, yo, I work. I don't, I don't have the kind, I don't have time to hop in here on this weekend to do this, man. Like, you know? So, unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to play the demo. Now, obviously, the game is already out as of the time of recording. I have not picked it up on my Switch as of yet. I think I'm going to be picking it up on Wednesday, possibly. But, uh, with that being said, what I played of the tutorial, oh my god. I, okay, so I've never played a Mario Strikers game before. It's the first time I've ever played it. This game is unbelievably fun. Unbelievably fun. And there's so much that you can do in the game. I didn't realize that you could tackle people the way that you can, that you can do charge shots, that you, oh my gosh, the, the everything that you can do in that game, it doesn't feel like you should be able to. When you're sitting down and you're playing, it's like, I'm playing soccer with a bunch of Mario characters, and they're literally fighting on the field. Like, this is bonkers, and I love it. I absolutely adore any variation of a uh, of a soccer game. Um, when FIFA made their FIFA Street game, I think it was back in 2012, maybe? 2011? I don't remember exactly when it came out. But it was for the 360, and oh my gosh, I absolutely adored that game. The game was so much fun, because... The gameplay was fun. The different, and it, it wasn't different modes, but just it had, it was indoor, in an in indoor soccer setting, and it was just a lot more fast paced, and you had to time your things a little bit better, and it just was an overall f a, a, amazing experience. Like, I really hope that we can get a FIFA Street back in some capacity, some way, somehow, because I absolutely love that game, but this game is giving me very, those FIFA Street vibes. It's just a fun time to play some soccer, and for me, soccer is the one sport that I absolutely adore, uh, probably because I played it, you know, in high school and college. So that is, you know, the one itch that I have where I'm like, yeah, I, I love me some soccer. And if you give me a soccer game with a Mario Strikers or with a Mario Kart skin, oh boy, you best believe I'm going to be pulling up and I'm going to be loving every minute of that game. I'll tell you what. But Again, those were my Jedi trainings for the week. I just wanted to kind of touch on that, and I did want to put the uh, demo on the at the end, only because it was something that I did try, I did try, and I did I did want to play through the actual demo, but I unfortunately again did not have the chance to. But I am very much looking forward to getting my hands on the actual 
physical copy of this, not even physical, but the actual full release of this game so I can really put it through its paces and see what it has to offer. But guys, I would like to transition over to my thoughts and opinions of this last state of play that just happened uh, on the second. So obviously, PlayStation came out and they uh, did their state of play and they announced a bunch of stuff, stuff that we did not know about, stuff that we did know about, and gave us a few more information about some of this stuff. Now, the biggest thing going into this that we found out was that Sony partnered with Summer Games Fest. Now, that took me by surprise. And it took me by surprise because they are partnering with them after not only three years ago, not yeah, we'll say two and a half, two and a half years ago in 2019, PlayStation came out and said that they are not going to be at the 2020 E3. They came out and said that. And now we see them partnering with Summer Games Fest. And it's just, it, it strikes me, it doesn't strike me as odd. It strikes me as a, I mean, it's kind of like a power move for Keeley, in my opinion. You know what I'm saying? So with this new things coming up and with, you know, uh, them, Sony, saying that, you know, they don't want to be a part of E3 because of X, Y, and Z, but then you see them with Jeff Keighley's deal, okay, well, now it sounds like it's an ESA kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, it doesn't feel like this is an issue between Sony not wanting to play ball. It just seems like Sony didn't want to play ball with the ESA. You know what I'm saying? Again, when you're thinking about how much you these publishers and these developers have to pay to have a spotlight at the ESA at the E3 convention, yeah, I can see why they do not feel the need to do that, especially PlayStation, who is freaking PlayStation. Like, they can just drop a showcase, as we've seen, and we're all gonna pull up. Look how many people pulled up to their state of play. You know what I mean? Like, we're gonna pull up when Sony tells us to. So why would they feel the need to have to put their crap at E3 just because everybody else is? Why wouldn't they want to be different? Same thing could go for this, then. Why would they want to put their stuff with Summer Games Fest if, you know, if they are Sony and they, they're top dog, really, right now in the game industry? Why would they feel like they need to use this and utilize Jeff Keighley's, you know, branding? And I think it just comes down to Jeff has garnered some goodwill across the industry. And it's not about Sony having, I'm sorry, having to partner with him. But it's a fact of Sony wanting to partner with him because they can see the effort and the work that he puts in to each and every one of these showcases. And I think that's really the driving force in this. So either way, cool news to find out that, you know, this kicked off the Summer Games Fest realistically. And also cool to see that, you know, maybe we see Sony, you know, do this again next year. But then that begs the question of, do, what is E3 again? Do we really think that they're coming back? There was an article. I heard this on uh, Kind of Funny Games Daily. There was an article by Nathan Grayson um, stating that ESA is saying that E3 will return next year. That's what they're saying. However, you know, I, 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 this was from, I don't know. You know, I don't know what they're going to do, but I just don't think that this is feasible. I don't think that they're going to be able to bring this back in any legitimate fashion for any of us to, you know, to tune in and to see what's going on. I really don't think that that's going to be the case. So unfortunately, I'm still on the fence and I still don't think that E3 is coming back, especially with us seeing the partnerships that Summer Games Fest is getting with um, Sony and all them. Why would the industry then go backwards and go back to E3? 
That's the that's the big question of the day. So we're going to have to see. We're going to have to wait and see, as I always say, because nothing is set in stone. So, you know, come next year around, around this time, will we be talking about the revitalization of E3 or will we be solidifying its death? That's really where I'm at right now. And we're, we, we will find out in 2023. That's kind of where I'm at. But unfortunately, not going to touch on any more of that because this is not E3 season. This is Summer Games Fest season, baby. Let's do this. So I want to give you a quick rundown of what was shown at the show and kind of my personal takeaway. So we did get the very first thing that they opened the show up, Resident Evil 4 Remake. Now, I am not a huge Resident Evil fan. I haven't played any of the games except for Village and yes, that's it. I played a little bit of Revelations 2, but again, just a little bit, because I'm not a huge horror stan. I'm okay with horror when I can control it, as in, like, your Dead Space. Eh, yeah. Dead Space is even too kind of like, oh my god, like, it's very scary. <laughs> but, like, I like scary games where you can you feel like you're in control, as in you have the means in your arsenal to handle the scary monsters, right? I, that's my kind of horror game. So Ghostwire Tokyo is kind of in that same aspect. You know, there are some scary scenes that happen, and there are some abstract things that kind of go on that can keep you on edge, but it's not a horror. It's more of a, like, psychological thriller, in a sense. It doesn't feel more like a horror game like Resident Evil is. Not a huge Resident Evil fan. However, this remake looked dope. This remake looked really, really good. I know how Resident Evil 4 looked, like um, the original version of it. So to see it running the way that it is now, looking like um, the Resident Evil 2 remake that they came out, as well as Village and um, Resident Evil 7, I, I think that they've got a good remake on their hands right here. And obviously this is one of the best Resident Evil games from you know anybody who's a fan of it. That's what they say. So for them to start the show off with this, and for it to look this good, excited. Very excited. Now, next game on the list, Resident Evil Village for PSVR 2. They are working on a port for that game. And honestly, I cannot I, I can't believe we didn't call it. You know, that we didn't see that happen. You know what I mean? Like they already did one with Biohazard. They gave the PSVR version with that one, and it launched day and date with it. Now, obviously, this is not gonna be launching day and date because Village has already come out. So it I would assume. Again, my prediction is we don't get PSVR 2 till sometime in 2023. But if that's the case, I think this game will launch day and date with the PSVR 2. So that's kind of where we're sitting at with that. But I am excited not to play it because I've already done Biohazard in VR. And I am more than positive that gave me a heart attack. I, uh, I'll give you a brief overview of what happened. I went into, I, we were doing one of the tapes going, you know, looking back. And I think I was playing as Mia, if I'm not mistaken. I don't remember. But um, walked into the boathouse. I was getting chased by the mom. Walked in, ran into the boathouse. Looked to the right. There was a wall. All right. Cool. Can't go to the right. I, before I turned around, guys, I heard a little girl laughing. And I just kind of stopped. And I turned and so, obviously, it's a boathouse, so it has the little part where you can, you know, bring the boat in, and, like, the dock, where you bring the boat in, and then you gotta go around the, that part, you know, to get, walk the dock. She was on the other side of the dock, just some random little girl, all I could see was a shadow, and that was it, that was, that was it. I, I heard, I felt a huge 
pain in my chest and it didn't go away for a week. So I don't know what happened. I don't know if I almost had a heart attack. I don't know if I hyperventilated, but I did not play that game again because it's like, I don't want to feel like that anymore. I don't want to feel physically in pain because of how scared I'm getting from this game. I don't need this anymore. I don't need this in my life. So we kept on trucking. I will not be putting Village on my head. No, no, no. But the next game, and these are, we've got two more PSVR 2 games uh, coming out. Well, two, uh, yeah, PSVR 2. Uh, the Walking Dead Saints and Sinners Retribution. So this is supposed to be the second game of The Walking Dead Saints and Sinners, which was the first game that came out and released on the PSVR. This is the uh, sec or the sequel to that game. And currently right now, it will be coming out this year, but it will be coming out this year for PSVR. It'll be coming out next, well, not next year, but whenever PSVR 2 launches, it will then be, I assume, will be a launch title for the PSVR 2, considering the first, the first iteration of the PSVR version will already be out in the wild. I feel like they will do their right to get the PSVR 2 version ready for prime time for when the, con the headset actually launches. And the last PSVR 2 game that we have announced uh, that we got more information about was obviously Horizon Call of the Mountain. Now, we saw a lot more gameplay of this, and I've got to say, I was not expecting it to be as fluid and as gamey, I would say, as it is, you know, like I, I wasn't expecting, you know, to be climbing up different, you know, uh, surfaces to be using the air, the bow and arrow to not even using the bow and arrows, obviously, but to be actually fighting these different uh, machines. I was not expecting it to be like side by side. You are literally going to be battling them in the same vein that Aloy did in the game. So I am very, very pumped and excited for this. I guarantee you this is probably going to be the very first game that I play on PSVR 2 when I get it. So I am super, super pumped. This just gets me even more hyped for PSVR 2. Even all of these announcements. Even Village. Even Village, which I will not play. I promise you that. Just like I promise you I will get Vader in two months, I promise you I will not touch Village in VR. I might go and try, you know, regular on the console. I will not be doing that in VR. I'm not doing that to myself again. But... Moving on, we've got Spider-Man Remastered, the PC port. I've got to say, guys, when they first started talking about this, they said, another fan favorite PlayStation exclusive is coming to PC. And the first game that came to my head was Spider-Man. Very first thing. I understand Returnal would have been up there. I... Is, I'm not a fan of Returnal, so that's why it did not pop up in my head, you know, very first. I'm thinking of... What is universally loved by literally everybody who plays the game, period. Anybody who touches this game loves this game. Spider-Man. It's Spider-Man. My wife, again, y'all know she's not a huge gamer. She learned how to play this game herself and beat this game all by herself in the same vein that she did Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart. However, this was the first one that did it. Also, two Insomniac joints. You know what I'm saying? Like, Insomniac is the GOAT. It is what it is. They're getting non-gamers to play their games. She won't play anything else, but she straight up plays Insomniac games for sure. Real talk. So, I that's, that's kind of my mentality when I thought of that. It's like, I mean, it's just universally loved by literally everybody. So, gotta be Spider-Man. Sure enough, it was. So, that was cool to see that Spider-Man is finally coming over to PC. And realistically... Cool to see that more games in general are coming over to PC. You know what I'm saying? Like, that is something that we should be happy about. That we should be happy that these games are getting ported over and more people are going to experience these games. I, ugh, 
Joe and Kyle were talking about this uh, this past week about how um, there, I guess, are people who are sawing their PlayStation 5s or PlayStation 4s, whatever, the, whatever it is. They're, sell, they're sawing consoles in half as a way to show discomfort in PlayStation porting games to PC, I guess. I don't know. It makes no sense. And it's a waste of a console. I am right there with Kyle. You are you are a disgrace. And if you think that you're a fan by doing that, you're not. You're absolutely not. <laughs> All right, but let's keep on trucking, guys. So next one, and I, I said this in the Discord group, this is the one and only thing that I wanted from this state of play. The only thing I wanted was a stray release date. Only thing. I know we got it leaked, but I wanted a confirmed stray release date, and that's what we got. Thank you, Lord. Stray is coming out July 19th, but that's not all. That is not all. It's also coming to the PS Plus, or the new PS Plus subscription service. I got so unbelievably pumped. This now means this game that I have been waiting for for two years now, we've all been waiting for for two years, now we don't have to pay for it. It's just going to be on the service, which, again, service starts in two days. Two days as of recording. I'm recording Saturday night. Two days as of recording, we will get our hands on PS Plus, on the new PS Plus subscription service here in the States. And I cannot wait. I am so unbelievably pumped and I'm so unbelievably excited to browse and peruse this uh, this roster of games that they've got on there. But... Straight coming day and date, July 19th. This gets me excited, gets me hopeful for what we could see down the road. Yes, we might not get first party games day and date, but if we can start seeing like indie games, third party games day and date, I mean, hey, we all gotta we all gotta get our money somewhere. I can I, I'm okay. I'm, I was already okay with pay, spending money on the PlayStation games when they said they weren't having games day and date. You're still going to tell me, though, we're going to have some indie titles and maybe some other third-party games that are day and date, just not your specific titles? Oh, boy. I cannot wait to see how the new PS Plus kind of progresses over, the, uh, realistically, over the next, over this year. I can't wait to see, like, December where we're at and then the years to come. So, very excited. Very excited for Stray. Next game on the list, The Callisto Protocol. We got some more gameplay of this. Oh, my God. This looks unbelievable. This looks unbelievable. Now, I am a fan of Dead Space to an extent. I loved Dead Space. I loved the the I loved the game itself. I just didn't like that it scared the shit out of me. So, you know, that's kind of where we're sitting at. Obviously, though, I did play that game when I was a little younger. So, you know, nowadays, I could probably get through it again because I feel like I am in control. I have a means to deter these different enemies. But the Callisto Protocol is from the makers or the same developers who made the original game. So it's got they got a bunch of them, and especially the the lead developer, the main developer who was there, who's heading that that studio, um, Visceral. He is over here, and he is putting in work on Callisto Protocol. So I am very pumped for this one. I will say there is one moment in that trailer where your main character is trying to squeeze past what looks like a hanging, defecating body. And literally, as you're moving past, the camera is moving past this dude's head, and the his eye just pops open. And if I don't, if I, I would be lying if I told you I didn't scream at the top of my lungs while I was sitting on my couch when I saw that. So, this is going to be a very hard one to try to get through. I am 
definitely going to get pick this up and try to get through it. This and the Dead Space remake that's coming out in January, I will be I will be heavily trying to get through. Regardless of the of the thrills and the scares, I'm going to push through it and I'm going to try. I'm going to try my hardest. I think I have a better chance of Dead Space only because I've actually played that game and I know the Necromorphs very well. I know them in and out. My mom can tell you multiple times of when I would come outside uh, of my room talking about Necromorphs and she did not know at all what I was talking about, but she thought it was funny. So there we are. But the Callisto Protocol looks fantastic i cannot wait to see more of this game can't wait to get this game in our hands and to really like dive into it realistically but the next game we've got is roller drone another roller skating game which is hilarious because this game got announced right when you know i started playing roller champion so i'm finding this new love for roller skating in video games and then we've got another game down the down the horizon called roller dome coming out and this one takes that again not so much um roller derby inspiration but definitely well i would say yeah in the sense of like the action and obviously roller skating but it feels more like your roller your roller skating in like a um a skate park in a sense but you're, you have guns and weapons, and the whole premise of it is you're supposed to come up, do, you want to, you get points by doing different kinds of tricks, and then you're shooting enemies as you're doing them, and that's how you get the majority of your points. Game looks fire. Not only that, the art style looks fantastic, looks amazing, so this is definitely one that I will definitely be hopping into as well. Now, with that being said, could we see this coming day and date to the service? We don't know now. What is their plan for day and date games? And that's kind of where we're sitting at. And again, we will find that out as the months go on, kind of what, what their their uh, rubric is and what their plan is for these. But as of right now, we don't really know. I But Rollerdrome, if they're putting Stray on there, Rollerdrome seems like another game that is going to be up there of like in consideration for going onto the service. But let's keep on trucking. We've got Eternites. Or it's either Eternites or Eternites. I don't know exactly how to pronounce it. But um, this game looked fun. This is a, um, a mix between an action game and a romance dating sim. So you're going back and forth between... It's kind of like a JRPG. So you're going between your, you know, fighting moments and fighting periods. As well as, you know, after those are over, then you're going and you're building relationships with your different colleagues and your different uh, friends that are around you and stuff like that. Now... That's all fine and dandy. I liked, you know, what I saw of it. I liked the gameplay, the combat, the um, neon lights and everything that were going around. The powers that, not powers, but the different movesets that you had. Everything in it looked really cool. Also, adding that dating sim aspect to it is, I haven't really seen before. Like a JRPG with also dating sim aspects. That's a cool concept to think about. So, I'm excited to kind of see where this goes. But, what more excites me is that... The developer, or the main developer, I don't know how many devs they have, but the main developer who started at least, you know, who had the idea for this game, and I assume we're talking, you know, one, two, you know, a handful of developers at most, but head developer who had the idea for this, he literally quit his job after playing Persona, he played Persona 4, then played Persona 5, and after playing both of those and beating them, he fell in love with them so much that he went and he quit his job and started developing or development on Eternites. And obviously, it is now being shown off at a, a Sony state of play. So 
it's I mean, it's up there with the quality of what this man was able to put out. And the fact that he quit his job to follow his dream and to do this, props to you, my friend. Props to you. I definitely will be picking this up surely out of support for his dream and his vision. Like that is, and I did the same thing with Aerial Knights Never Yield. That's the other game that I did that with. I heard um, Aerial Knight, that's the developer of it. It's just one man. I heard his story on the Lord's podcast, Lords of Gaming podcast, and it literally rocked me to my core. And to see how much work he had to put in, to see how much he had to give up, and to see that he was almost about to give up on this dream and just throw it in throw in the towel. But but he was like, you know what? I'm gonna make Never Yield. I'm gonna make this game and it's gonna be a game for me. I understand that I have to, you know, pander to my audience and to the consumer. But you know what? This is my last shot of trying to get a game out in this industry. I'm gonna make a game that I love, that I feel confident about. And not even saying like, yeah, if people don't like it, fine, you don't like it. That's fine. But I like it. That's the point. I like this game that I made, so this is what I'm putting out in the world. And look what happened. He he got it out. He got it in front of people, and Devolver backed him. So, like, these are the success stories that I love to hear in the gaming industry. So I will be picking up Eternites, not only, not only because it looks like a fun game and it looks really interesting, but sh sheerly to show this man support. If there was nothing else, I would still be getting it just because of that. All right. Moving forward, we have Street Fighter VI. I thought this game looked pretty dope um, to see kind of how they moved through the um, the open world in a sense, or it felt like it was an open world, like there were some extra activities that you're able to do other than just fighting. That was really fun to see and really cool. Like I wasn't expecting that from a Street Fighter game, and realistically, it kind of threw me off of its scent because of because of that aspect. I just wasn't expecting to see a Street Fighter game in that vein, you know. So seeing that was pretty cool as well but i am still kind of concerned that you know again it's a fighting game i'm not huge into fighting games so is it going to catch my in uh, my attention and take my attention for as long as they're really wanting to do it you know so that's kind of where i'm sitting at with street fighter 6 it looked cool but not a huge fighter fan so we'll have to see what they can do for me specifically to kind of get me bought into what they're doing um quick one here they did announce that tunic will be coming to playstation now it was an xbox exclusive for uh, uh maybe a year i want to say and but it's finally now coming to uh playstation um so next game we've got season a letter to the future this game caught me completely off guard i did not know that this game was a thing like i i, I apparently it had already been announced I don't remember seeing this or hearing about this one, but seeing it now in, you know, actual gameplay for it, art style, fantastic. I love that abstract art, and we saw the same thing in Rollerdrome, kind of. Not the same style of art, but it was the same kind of aesthetic of, like, um, abstract, you know, very um, colorful, and I absolutely adore any game that has a an abundant color palette, you know, uh, but this game basically just going around, and you're talking to people. You're a journalist, and you're going around on your bike. You're just going through the scenery, through the environment, and you're collecting stories and data. And when you get to a certain point, apparently you can choose either to take a picture of what you see, take an, a recording of what you're hearing, or um, 
I think there's a third sense that they kind of touch on as well, but I'm not 100%. Either way, season looks really, really fun. Looks like it would be a, a nice, chill game to kind of wind down with at the end of the night kind of thing. And it seems interesting, again, to be able to see that you're going to be able to carve out your own uh, you know, path as you go through and what you, you know, want to choose as opposed to what I want to choose is going to be different and we're going to have completely different experiences. So really cool to see that this indie game is taking this level of uh, depth in trying to make you curate your own story, like literally curate your own story by choosing these things and going to these different locations. Last, but certainly not least, guys, Final Fantasy 16. Oh, my gosh. This looks fantastic. It looks great. I cannot wait for this game to come out. Um, I was not expecting to see this here, but, you know, me being not a not the biggest Final Fantasy uh, fan, again, I started playing Final Fantasy with Final Fantasy 15. Didn't play that much of it because I didn't exactly understand what, you know, the game was asking me to do. It's my first JRPG of all time. Um, but then playing through... Final Fantasy VII Remake is really where I have kind of grown and found a love for Final Fantasy. So I am very pumped for 16. I was pumped when they showed it off. I was a little less pumped because I didn't obviously see any gameplay of it or anything. But now with us kind of getting a little bit more of a clear aspect of what's going on in the game and the the um, the second by second gameplay of it, I it, it's looking to be a really really good game and it's looking to be like. Something that is going to not only get new people in again, because Remake did obviously got me in, it got new people in, but I feel like the people that they got in now, they are now looking at this game and they're like, yo, this game is this game could be fire. This game could be fire. And I'm just I, I like the aesthetic that they're going with here. Apparently they're going, you know, back to form. They've done this before in the past of going like kind of medieval um aesthetic and it seems like they're going down that route again so very excited to see this game um apparently it should be dropping sometime in 2023 fingers crossed that nothing happens that they are not being rushed and that they are get getting the time that they need to work on it but that's kind of where we're sitting at so that was all of the sony playstation state of play right there you know going through it and honestly I, I I did really like this one. I would say I have to, if I wanted to rate it, I would probably rate it at, at about a 9 out of 10, 9.5 out of 10, if not 10 out of 10. I'd say 9.5 out of 10 to 10 out of 10. One of the two. I can't really make a, a good judgment on that only because there are a couple games in here that I was uh, curious to see and or it was curious to see and it got hyped for seeing it, but I know that I it's not personally for me. But... For the most part, like, I'd say 90% of this list is games for me, realistically. And that's, I think, the the kind of um, narrative that I've seen on the internet uh, as the, the weeks have passed since then of, like, multiple people saying, like, this seems like this was a state of play for me. I'm like, yeah, dude, like, everything in here I, I perked up at and I really had my eyes out. So this is a really, really good state of play and I was not expecting it to be this good. But, guys... I think we're going to land for the night here. Thank you so much for joining me on episode 17 of the JMR podcast. Remember, you guys can always follow me on Twitter at Jedi Master Ren. Remember, the R in Ren is the same R for Master. Don't forget, you can follow the show as well. You can follow it to get any updates on the show. You have hologram links there so that you can send in an audio message that can be featured on the show. But as always, guys... 
May the force be with you.